the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, before we get into some questions tonight, I'm going to be teaching 2 Kings 16. You know, one of the things I've learned in going through the Kings and the Chronicles and First and Second Samuel uh, as well, also the book of Judges. If, if there's bad guys there, we can learn a lot. And tonight is one of those times where we're going to learn a lot um, uh, from a bad guy, uh, Ahaz, the, the, uh, one of the two most evil kings in all of Judah's history. And uh, so that is tonight, Second Kings chapter 16. And of course, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. So get ready for that. Here's our first question that's been sent in today. It's from Cynthia. She says, is it true that the Antichrist will be an immaculate conception like Jesus? Cynthia, I don't know where you got that idea or where you read that, but the answer is no. He will not be an immaculate conception like Jesus. There was just one of those. And uh, while the Antichrist will be uh, endued with supernatural power, evil supernatural power, um, it doesn't extend to his conception. So, um, no, he'll be just a person who suddenly vaults into the forefront of the, the consciousness of the world. And um, we'll see the fastest takeover uh, in the history of our world. So, uh, no, no immaculate conception for the Antichrist. Thank you, Cynthia. Rusty says, Pastor Ron, will you comment on people deconstructing their faith? Um, Rusty, I've had this question several times over the last several months, and and uh, yes, I'll be happy to comment on it. In fact, it's one of my favorite things to talk about because it demonstrates how gullible we are, how easily um, persuaded or brainwashed we are. Um, deconstruction is a a phenomenon of the internet, uh, and all you got to do is say something that sounds smart, that sounds spiritual. And people are going to jump on the bandwagon. Deconstructing our faith is simply finding a way to keep on sinning and be okay with it. 
That's all it is. I want to go to heaven. I know the only way to go to heaven is to 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 believe in Jesus. And so I'm simply going to deconstruct my faith. I'm going to get it all the way down to the basics. God loves me, and since He loves me, I can do whatever I want. So Rusty, the the honest response is that the people who are deconstructing their faith are not doing something wise. The faith never changes. It is the faith, Paul writes, once and for all delivered to the saints. Not not a faith that's delivered to saints that's going to change or it's going to evolve. It is the faith, once and for all delivered to the saints. And since that's the case, uh, that faith never changes. I like to tell people if something was right 2,000 years ago, it's still right today. If something was wrong 2,000 years ago, it's still wrong today. It doesn't matter what the social mores are. It doesn't matter what people think or what they wish and deconstructing our faith is simply our desire to make Jesus into whoever we want him to be instead of accepting him for who he is hoping that he will come to us on our terms instead of us coming to him on his terms and I think the difference is obvious so uh, this is just progressive Christianity, which really isn't Christianity at all. Uh, a lot of these people, I hope, will sort of grow out of it. They will grow up. They will mature in their faith. I love when the Apostle Paul says, um, uh, writing to, to the church in, in Philippi, he says, um, if you are mature, then you will agree with me on these matters. And uh, I think, Rusty, that, that as Christians, we've got to decide who's in charge. And the reality is people that are so-called progressive, um, which is really regressive, it's nothing new, um, th- th- those people are, are, are simply trying to make God into who they want him to be because they want to sin and they don't want the Bible to tell them what to do or what not to do. And uh, rejecting the Bible is as old as time. Um, I remember when I first got saved, I, I got kind of caught up in the Jesus seminar, just trying to figure out what it was. And, and it was just a bunch of scholars trying to decide if, if Jesus really said what the Bible reported that he said. And their conclusion was that, that he really only said about 13% of what we have in red letters in the gospel accounts. And so all the other stuff that we can just throw away. The problem with that, of course, is if you can't keep it all, then the reality rest is you can't keep any of it. And the people that today are deconstructing their faith uh, are finding out that their foundation was built on sand. And when the storm comes, that foundation will crumble. And then they're going to be left all on their own. And our prayer needs to be for these people, especially people who were raised in church or who at one time believed that the Bible was literally the word of God. Um, we we got to hope that that great crash that Jesus spoke about, uh, that great crash will bring them back to their foundation. Uh, and that's a solid foundation of Jesus Christ. So if you don't like the Bible, if you don't like somebody being an authority over you, if you don't like... Uh, saying no when you're tempted to sin, then deconstruction's for you. But people that are deconstructing their faith really have no faith left at all. So, Rusty, hope that helps. Here's an interesting question from Andrew. He said, Pastor Ron, do you think Paul was wrong to go to Jerusalem when the prophets all told him not to go? No, he wasn't wrong. And this is something that's that's important for us to understand. You know, in in the book of Romans, Paul wanting to go to Rome. He, he wanted to go and preach there. He wanted to go there and, and supply them with spiritual gifts. I mean, it was the center of the world, the one place Paul hadn't gone. And he writes to Rome about his desire to go. And then he says this. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the, with the full measure of God's blessing. Now, obviously, Andrew, Paul didn't know that that would be in jail or, or as a prisoner. Um, but that's exactly what happened. And it is true. He did go to Rome with the full measure of God's blessing. Um, it just didn't look like a blessing or what we would we would view as a blessing. And so when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem and uh, all of the prophets, I love the dramatic, I call him the dramatic prophet Agabus. Um, 
when he said this man, the, the owner of this belt, will be bound in this way uh, in Jerusalem. And, and, you know, Paul knew that was true uh, when he went to uh, say goodbye to the Ephesian elders. He basically had to tell him, look, stop begging me not to go. You're breaking my heart. And then the narrative says in, in, uh, in, in Acts, uh, it says that, that when they saw they couldn't persuade him. So Paul was set on going to Jerusalem, even though he knew that that's what would happen. He would be captured. Um, he also could trust that that was um, God who was directing his steps to make sure that he got to Rome um, on the shipwreck. He's told by an angel of the Lord that you must testify of me also in Rome. So he knew he was going. I think, Andrew, we have a tendency to think that, well, if we're in the middle of God's will, then everything is going to go well. And and I think that's the basis of this question. Uh, Paul was absolutely right to go. He was compelled to go. And because he understood that Jesus was the one giving orders, uh, he had no choice but to go. And really, Andrew, what he was doing was his best Jesus impression. If you go to Isaiah chapter 50 of Jesus, it says, that, that I set my face as flint to, to go to Jerusalem. I offered my back to those who beat me. I offered my beard, my face, to those who pulled my beard out. They spit in his face, and uh, they beat him and brutalized him mercilessly. Um, and so if you're thinking that Paul was wrong, then you'd have to also consider the possibility that Jesus was wrong. He shouldn't have gone because he knew what was going to happen. Sometimes, Andrew, God leads us into difficult situations. And Paul, of course, was no stranger to the inside of a cell. He was no stranger to being brutalized or tortured. Uh, and the fact that he was, you remember in Philippi, um, some who were opposing the Apostle Paul felt like they could stir up trouble with, for him because of his chains. And he said, it doesn't matter to me. As long as Christ is being preached, I'm okay. So, no, Paul was not wrong to go. He knew he had to go. And uh, all you have to do is read the book of Acts and his um, epistles, and what you find out is that Paul was right in the middle of God's perfect will. Good question. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, what can I do when my spouse, who is a believer, files for divorce but doesn't have biblical grounds? Should I ask the church to confront them, meaning the spouse? Um, you know, we, we can't force people, anonymous, to stay married to us. Um, um, people file, Christians file for divorce all the time without biblical grounds. You know, I get tickled, and I don't mean this in a, in a, in a flippant way at all, but, but it's always interesting to me that somebody whose, whose spouse is uh, filing for divorce, but, but he doesn't or she doesn't have biblical grounds, uh, what are you going to do about it? Well, we can't do anything about it, just like we couldn't do anything about the behavior that led up to the spouse filing for divorce. You know, I always find the person who is being left in a marriage uh, is the one that claims uh, no biblical grounds and the church has to do something. And yet when that person was acting out in the home, um, there was no similar call to, to come and confront that man or that woman. So the reality is we can't force somebody to stay married to us. Um, that person, your spouse, will answer to the Lord. God hates divorce, and he's going to ask the question, well, I hated divorce, you didn't hate divorce, and she's going to have to give, or he's going to have to give an account. Um, and then there's consequences of that choice. And the consequences are simple. If you divorce because of a hard heart, and you have no biblical grounds, then the Apostle Paul says, if you do that, you must stay unmarried. And I just don't know too many people, Anonymous, who are unwilling to stay unmarried. And usually they'll violate that uh, part of the Word of God as well. So I just don't think there's anything you can do. Um, uh, if she is an active member of a church, you go to church together, then certainly you ought to uh, accept uh, marriage counseling. Uh, the choice that, that, that your spouse is making is a, a choice that breaks God's heart. Um, but I think you also have to be honest in, in pastoral counseling about the reasons that led up to this spouse 
filing for divorce because it's just not the end result that has to be changed. What has to be changed is all of the behavior that contributed to that end result. Good question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. Here's a question from Harvey. Um, what should we make of Christians who say they don't really like reading the Bible? Uh, is that just an excuse not to read? Uh, Harvey, this is heartbreaking to me. I have family members who who don't like reading the Bible. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, wait a minute. Uh, I actually had someone tell me the other day, they're watching The Chosen, and, and, and the response was, well, I really like this because, you know, I'm not good at reading, so at least I'm learning about Jesus. Well, The Chosen, as entertaining as it is, uh, has a lot of creative, dramatic license, and uh, the reality is that you're not learning about Jesus there. I, again, I've watched The Chosen I've seen all of the episodes up to the current one, and I like it. Now, there's some things that bother me about it, but it's not the Word of God. And so what I would say, Harvey, is that when somebody says they don't really like reading the Bible, uh, I'm going to ask them why, what makes them think they're saved. It's just a discipline. We discipline ourselves to read social media. We used to discipline ourselves to read newspapers. We discipline ourselves to, to do homework if we're in school. We discipline ourselves to go to work every day, and often it's to do something that we don't like to do, but we have to do in order to provide for our families. Well, the Bible, how much more important is the Bible? And so when somebody says, I don't like reading the Bible, uh, I can tell you there is a, a life that is, is uh, completely out of the will of God, a life that's going to be confused simply because um, the only way that we know how to deal with this world, the only way that we know who Jesus really is, not our preconceived ideas about Jesus, but, but who he really is, the only way we can find out the answers to those questions is in the Word. There's no other authority. So what we've got to do is, is really learn who Jesus is and the Bible is the full and complete revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he does, what his motives are, what his heart is. And, and if we're not reading the Bible, then we're making it up as we go along and rationalizing that it's okay. So, Harvey, what I would say to a Christian like this, you didn't ask me what I would say. You said, what should we make of, of a Christian that doesn't like reading the Bible? Uh, what we should make of them is that they're probably not really saved. I mean, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're going to have a hunger for the Word of God, even if it's difficult reading. But um, sadly, Harvey, that's the reality in most of our churches today. It's one of the reasons why um, seeker-sensitive messages got so popular. It's the reason that uh, so many preachers can, can say ridiculous things and have the audience amening those ridiculous things uh, because they don't read the Bible. And um, I, I think uh, somebody who's making that excuse simply needs to understand that I'm accountable to God to be a good steward of my life in order to do that, in order to know what God wants for me, then what I've got to do is open the Word and find out the answers. You know, Harvey, I don't have anybody waiting on the phone, so I'm going to take another minute or two with this. But um, when I got saved, now, uh, I'd never opened a Bible. I was almost 40 years old, three months short of my 40th birthday. And um, I absolutely had never opened a Bible. And so reading it was arduous. It was exceptionally difficult for me. Uh, I had the King James Bible that somebody gave me. Um, and and I, I, I just had a hard time. But once I purposed in my heart, I'm going to do this. No matter how hard it is, I'm going to do it. I had a hunger for the Word of God like never before. And, and that hunger has lasted now for almost 32 years. So um, give them the counsel. They need to know who Jesus is, and there's no other way to know. Thank you, Harvey. I appreciate the question. Let's go to our first phone call today in line one. Alan from San Antonio. Alan, thank you for calling. You're on the air. 
Hi, Pastor Ron. This is Alan. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Alan. How are you doing? Hi, uh, just hanging in there. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, had a few questions for you. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yesterday you were talking about suicide, and mm-hmm. I was very interested in that, and I just had two questions. And the first question is, if a person commits suicide and they're not in their right mind, like I've heard stories of people that have brain tumors and they're not in their right mind when that happens, um, would they go to heaven? And the second question is, where was Jesus when, uh, where did Jesus so, where did his spirit go after he was crucified? Because I know he wasn't, um, I know he didn't go down to uh, Sheol or anything. And just the second question was, where did Jesus' spirit go? When he after he was crucified, uh, just those two questions, I guess. Okay. That's all. Thank you, Alan. Hope you're feeling better. God bless you. Uh, let me deal with the suicide question first because I'm uh, I, I always have to be really careful with this. Uh, you never know the motive of somebody who's asking, "Well, what happens uh, when we commit suicide? Can you commit suicide and still go to heaven?" Um, and and also, uh, Alan, because I know you struggle. With, with physical issues beyond what most people could bear. Um, I want to make sure that this is clear to everybody in this audience, not just to Alan, but to everybody in this audience. A Christian simply cannot commit suicide. You can't do it. Your body's not your own. You were bought with the price. Your body, no matter the condition it's in, no matter the state it's in, Your body belongs to Jesus, and he alone has the power of life and death. So you need to understand that. And the reason I put it in those terms is because it helps us identify who we really are. Uh, I understand suicidal ideations. I understand people get depressed. I understand people that suffer physically um, um, greatly. And, And I understand the desire to go and be with Jesus. I'm tired of fighting. I'm just done and, and the, the, the man or woman who is a believer, the Holy Spirit living in him or her, would then check that person very, very quickly and say, you can't do that. And I've been in situations where people that I believe were real Christians um, were, were seriously considering taking their own life because of the circumstances, the pain they were in. And uh, when I would say, you can't do it, uh, the believer would say, uh, okay, I want to please the Lord and ask for God's grace, which is always sufficient. Now, I'm also a realist, and so this is me talking out of the other side of my mouth. Um, uh, The reality is that there are Christians who are overcome by the enemy. Remember, all of the suicidal thoughts come from the devil, all of them. Um, He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. He wants to make sure that you don't finish well. And so I I realize that there are times when in our weakness we're overcome. I have done funerals uh, for three people that I can remember very vividly who committed suicide, who I am 100% sure are in heaven. 100%. But all three of those people had to stand before Jesus and give an explanation. And of course, there is no explanation that's satisfactory because when you're standing in front of the God, in front of the Lord, you you realize His 100% ownership of you. There's no well, but I was really struggling, or this was really hard. Uh, so the reality is that that uh, um, there are times the the devil wins. It's just that simple. Committing suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Uh, it is a sin, but it's not the unpardonable sin. And so in those rare occasions when somebody who really is a believer is overcome by grief or overcome by pain or overcome by any other circumstances and they take their own life, um, that person will, will go to heaven. Uh, but believe me, that moment when they stand in front of the Lord is going to be um, more painful. Um, than, than, than we can imagine. So um, it is possible for Christians to commit suicide. Uh, and yet I tell people when they're considering it, 
If you're a real Christian, you've got to want to please the Lord. And the answer is you can't do that. And sometimes I'll tell them, the choice you make will determine who you are. So I hope that makes sense. Alan, the other question about where did Jesus go? He did go uh, into into the, the, the abyss. Uh, we call it Hades. Um, but it's not like he spent all three days there or, or, or parts of all three days there. But he went down to set the captives free, to take captivity captive in his train. Um, he, he went and proclaimed victory in the, in the lower parts of the earth. Uh, those who were being held in the place called paradise, you can read about that in Luke chapter 16 or Abraham's bosom. Um, he set them free and he took them with him to heaven um, and set them free. He did not go to Sheol or Hades to be abused or to be tortured uh, as professing prosperity preachers claim. Um, but but he did, in fact, um, go to set the captives free. And so that's where he was. Keep in mind, when his physical body died, into, my, into thy hands I commit my spirit, he said to his father. Hey, we've got Mike and Cleo waiting on the lines. Guys, please wait. We'll get you right at the top of the break. This is the word to stand up for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second part of our second half of our wednesday show 340-9585 for your live calls and questions let's go to mike on line two from san antonio mike thanks for your patience you're on the air Hello, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine, Mike. Glad to have you back. You sound great. Uh, Thanks. I know you were sick for a couple of weeks. Good to have you back. Uh, Pardon me if I've called about this particular verse or predestination before, but I've been studying Romans, and I'm in Romans chapter 9, and I know you're familiar with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, One second. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm I'm on the phone. I'm getting a a phone call and I can't, I can't shut it off, but it it talks in Romans nine. I think it's verse 16. Let me find my reference. Hope I didn't lose it. Oh, geez. Hope I didn't lose it. Uh, About have uh, how God hardened Pharaoh's heart and how he will decide, you know, what he's going to do. I'm, I'm going to look up the verse while you answer the first part because, and I, and I, I don't know if you could pull up the reference because now I lost it on my phone because that, that yeah. phone call came in. Yeah, I've got, that, it. I've got it, Mike. Right, because, because, because I know my Bible pretty good and I read it often that I, I believe like Pharaoh, like God participated in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart but Pharaoh willingly defied God, so he worked in concert with God. This is what I understand. But in these verses, it sounds a little bit like almost, and if you could quote it, it would help me because I don't have it in front of me, that God kind of decides it. That's what, the, that's what the Scripture verse looks like, but I don't think that's, am I understanding that right? Because yeah. I believe we participate in that process, and it's... it's it, and then, of course, it talks about Esau and Jacob, and it, it's, there's a lot of verses to unwrap, and I know you got another caller, so I'll probably call back another day for the rest of this. Okay, thank thank you, Mike. And I think we lost the other caller he waited, so Cleo, if you're out there, you can call. The lines are open, and we'll get to you as soon as I'm done with this question. Uh, Mike, the verse you're talking about is uh, verses 15 and 16 in Romans chapter 9, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And then the next verse says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
Now, the problem with this, Mike, is that there are those who are Reformed or Calvinist in their um, eschatology, or not eschatology, in their theology. Um, um, you know, they'll say, well, we'll see God's causing that. But that's not at all. We know two things from Romans chapter 8, verse 29, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that God's election or choice of people is based on his foreknowledge. Remember, God lives outside of time and space. He knows the end from the beginning. So God chooses based on uh, what he knows about the people. Now, with Pharaoh, and this is an easy one and probably the best one as an example to use. You can go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 in verse 19 when God is telling Moses God is telling Moses that um, uh, he used to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, and of course, Moses objects, well, who am I to talk to Pharaoh? And uh, he says, no, you go. And then he says this, you tell him to let my people go, but, and this is chapter 3, verse 19 in Exodus, I know that he will not let them go unless or until a mighty hand compels him. So this is God's foreknowledge. And so here's what he did with Pharaoh. If you read the passage with Pharaoh, this isn't this isn't um, uh, partnering with God at all. This is God respecting the choice, the free will choice that we have to make. And we, we have seven times in the, the the plagues of Egypt or the plagues on Egypt, seven times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Over and over, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He knew that Moses' God was God. He knew that Moses' God was powerful. Um, and, and he would capitulate. He would try to negotiate. And, and, um, and then he would change his mind. So, unless a mighty hand compels him. Well, the plagues were that mighty hand. And he finally got to a point where after Pharaoh hardened his heart seven times. And seven is the number of completion. In other words, Pharaoh got to the place where his heart was so hard that he, he couldn't hear anything at all from, from God or from Moses, about God from Moses. Uh, and his heart got hard. And then, it, then we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And all that means, Mike, is that God gave Pharaoh over to his own heart. He made this choice over and over and over again. And God said, okay, I'm done. And he just took his hand off him. And Pharaoh did what God knew all along he was going to do. Again, I refer to Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. God knew exactly what the result would be. Now, Moses didn't know. But God knew exactly what the, the, the um, result would be. So in verse 15, when he says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy... The choice to have mercy on people, he has mercy on those that he knows are going to make the right choice or the right decision. And uh, he'll have compassion on people that he knows are going to make the right decision. Now, one of the things you have to understand, and, and because Calvinists see this as God causing this, you can't, um, you can't question God. The fact that it's completely out of his character to force people to go to heaven or force people to go to hell— they say, well, no, God causes it. This isn't causative at all. God's making his choices on who he'll have compassion and who he'll have mercy based on what he knows they're going to do. Um, 32 almost years ago now, God had mercy and compassion on me. I certainly didn't deserve it. I did terrible things. But he knew that I was going to be his. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. So he knew. But beyond that, God simply is giving us the room to make a choice. And to deny that we have free will, to deny choice, is to deny the narrative from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation 22-21. So um, God's mercy is the underlying thing. The, the, the other questions you asked about Jacob and Esau. Um, the truth is God loved Jacob and he loved Esau. But he couldn't love Esau because Esau sold him out for a bowl of stew. Jacob wasn't much better, but God knew that Jacob was going to be the patriarch. God knew that Jacob was eventually going to wrestle with him. 
and and we would say get saved in an Old Testament construct. Um, so so here's what he's saying. He says, Jacob I loved, he received my love, but Esau hated me. And so the result was as though I hated him. It isn't that God hated Esau at all. We know that's true because the Bible says God is love. For God so loved the world. Not, not just those who choose him or those he's chosen. For God so loved the world. And you got to do a lot of, of um, um, exegetical uh, uh, hoops to get to the place where God caused all of that. Good question, Mike. And you can call anytime you want to. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Um, here is a question from Felipe. What does it mean to carry our own crosses as Jesus instructed? Well, the cross, Felipe, was an instrument of death, execution. So when when he says, "Pick up your cross, carry your cross every day," um, he 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 partners that with deny yourself. It's simply saying, um, I'm going to die to my flesh so that I can live for Christ. So carrying your own cross is to put to death the flesh and the deeds of the flesh. Paul puts it this way, uh, walk in the spirit rather than walk according to the carnal nature. So that's all it means. It simply means to deny ourselves, to destroy our flesh, uh, Paul says to talk, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's carrying our own cross. It is to put the will of God before our own will or our own agendas in our lives. And it simply speaks of priority. To love Jesus more than you love your own life is to die to self. And that's what it means to carry our own cross. Obviously, it's not a physical or a literal cross, Felipe, but that's exactly what it means. Good question. We've got Cleo back on line one. Cleo, thank you for calling back. You're on the air. Yes, uh, Pastor. I was Hi. wanting to request a prayer for me. Okay. I am on antidepressants and anxiety medicine, or obviously depression and anxiety, and I'm having trouble right now with change of meds and everything. And oh, my. I... I just need your help. I just okay. need ask you to pray for me, please. I will do Send that, Cleo. To heal me. I will do that. Can I ask you a question? Are you a, a born again believer? Uh yes. Okay. I'm not necessarily born again, but I kind of always believed. That's yeah. the way I was brought up and taught. Okay. Okay, but well, li- I mean, yeah. Listen to me very closely, okay, Cleo. And I'm going to pray for you in a minute, but I want you to listen very closely. Jesus mm-hmm. himself said that you must be born again. And it doesn't matter if you've gone to church your whole life. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. Um, what, what has to happen is there's a transaction where you surrender your life and the control of your life to Jesus Christ. You ask the Spirit of God to come in and give you direction, you, to, to lead and guide you. And uh, having asked God for forgiveness of your sins, repenting of those sins, and then surrendering to Jesus, that's what the process of being born again really is all about. Okay. And so uh, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, but at the same time, the idea, understanding what, mean, what it means to be born again, I think will help you also with your depression and with your anxiety things. So let me pray for you. Father, I lift Cleo to you now, and I ask you to touch, to heal, to bring peace. Oh, Lord, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, and you know the rest of them, Lord, and and that's the fruit that we want to see coming from Cleo. By the power of your Spirit, Lord, bring her to that place where she surrenders her heart completely to you. Holy Spirit, bring her to that moment where she says, come into my heart. And let her come to you, Lord, in complete dependence on you. And may her life bring you glory. I pray for relief. I pray for relief from all of the meds, Lord. But in the meantime, as she's adjusting medications, be with her and help her. And bring back to her, Lord, the joy of what it means to be saved. Jesus, convince her of how much you love her and help, we pray, for your glory. 
Amen. Cleo, Amen. we'll be praying. We'll, I'll be praying for you. Please uh, keep us posted on how you are doing. Okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Uh-huh. 340-9585. Miguel asks, how do you respond to a Christian in AA, that's Alcoholics Anonymous, who says he will always be a drunk instead of being delivered totally? Miguel, I think I know where your question is going, uh, and I probably would say the same thing you do. You know, one of the problems with AA or any of the 12-step groups is that there are 11 steps too many. And and for a person to say, now, I, I, people always get mad at me when I talk about AA. Well, people have been saved. God God saves people in horrible churches. God loves people. And he'll meet them. But But when Jesus is available to you, why would we believe a secular program? The reality is, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So when you go to an AA meeting and, and you've got a Christian friend there who says, well, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a recovering alcoholic and, and I can't have a drink. I can't this, I can't that. It's antithetical to what the Bible teaches. And obviously both of those things can't be true. So that's the way I'd respond to a Christian in AA who says he's always going to be a drunk, I would offer him freedom. It is for freedom we've been set free, Galatians 5.1 says. And then I want to sit down and talk with this friend, Miguel, and explain to him what the Bible says Jesus actually accomplished on the cross. And then you can ask this friend, do you really believe what the Bible says? And if the answer is no, then you can share the gospel with him. You can talk to him about Jesus. But if he says yes, then you can ask him, well, why are you in a 12-step program that is telling you things about who you are that are contrary to that which is in the Bible? So, Miguel, this is a a real problem. Um, AA is not Christian at all in form. And um, uh, while I know people go there with the right heart, they want the right result, uh, the right result is, frankly, impossible apart from Jesus Christ. So, I was a jerk. I'm not a jerk anymore. I went to Gamblers Anonymous meetings when I got, just before I got saved. I um, realized that that wasn't going to help. When I met Jesus, everything changed. So, Miguel, that's what I tell him. If that's what he really believes, he needs to meet Jesus. I'd like to ask people, do you want me to introduce you to Jesus who can fix all this stuff? Thank you for the question. Jeffrey wants to know, can somebody who's not elect be saved? Um, No, because somebody who's not elect, God knows they're never going to give their heart to Jesus Christ. God knows those who are his. He won't be mocked. Um, God knows everything about everyone. And he knows uh, the people that are going to die Rejecting him, that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit um, that people have so many questions about. Dying um, separated from Jesus Christ, when you die in that condition, there's no remedy for your sin. So, Jeffrey, um, election, again, Romans 8, 29, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, is based on God's foreknowledge. And God simply wouldn't elect or predestine, whatever term you want to use, somebody that he knows is going to reject him unto death. I mean, if you were God, would you choose somebody who hated you and you knew that they were never going to change? Would you choose somebody who is going to curse you until the day they die? Of course you wouldn't. But you might choose somebody like me, Jeffrey, who acted like I hated you and who said I hated you, but who you knew my heart was going to soften up. And I'd come to faith in Jesus Christ. I was chosen before the foundation of the world. I didn't know it, but God did. And you know what I love about Romans 8, 29 in particular, Jeffrey? It's that no matter how badly I behaved, no matter how horrible the things I said or did might have been, God set his love upon me, and I couldn't change his mind about that. I couldn't change his mind. He loved me no matter what. So, if somebody's not chosen by God, remember he only chooses those that he knows are going to choose him back, then no, they won't be saved. 
Here is what here. Okay, we've got Frank from Lavernia who asked the question. He said, um, is it satanic to believe in UFOs? No, uh, Frank, it's not satanic. Um, I, I think that it's possible, uh, and I've heard people argue this, that, that when the church is raptured, um, the enemy is going to spread the story that, you know, the, the, this is UFOs took people away. So, no, it's not satanic. I think it's silly. Um, now, UFOs, by definition, are unidentified flying objects. And I think there's a lot of things in the sky that people haven't identified. But there aren't people in Mars or there aren't people on the moon or there aren't people in the other planets out in the solar system. There's not other societies that are visiting us and then they take off and... And, um, you know, we, we love that, and it, 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 it piques our curiosity. But, but no, there's, there's no space people out there, no Martians out there, no advanced civilizations. Jesus died for us, and we're the best thing he ever did. You know, it's interesting to me that in all of the sci-fi stuff out there, now i got to tell you, I am the least sci-fi person you've ever known. I'm the one guy in the world who's never seen a Star Wars or a Star Trek. I just don't care about it. But um, um, the reality is that when we portray those people, they're always an advanced civilization. And yet our Bible says we're the best thing that God ever did. So Frank and Lavernia... Uh, Satan can certainly use our belief in UFOs just like he can use our belief in astrology uh, or, or uh, uh, fortune-telling, those kind of things. And we can get trapped in a satanic plot. But just the belief in UFOs in and of itself is not uh, satanic. Silly, but not satanic. Good question, Frank. Thank you very, very much. I think i got time for one or two more questions. Here's an anonymous question. I know God has forgiven me for the awful life I've lived, but I just cannot forgive myself. Is there any help for me? Um, anonymous, yeah, it's, it's one word. Faith. Faith. What makes you think that God could save Saul of Tarsus, a murderer? Jesus took it very personal that Saul of Tarsus persecuted him. What makes you think that God could save him but not you? I think, and I don't mean this as a personal attack at all, anonymous, but it, it's it's really the height of arrogance to believe that your your ability to sin is greater than God's um, grace. God has this reservoir of grace that's that's uh, that that we we can only begin to scratch the surface, and yet I've I've had people in my office counseling them, people just like you, but I've done so many terrible things I can't forgive myself. Uh, I always tell them the same thing I'm going to tell you now. you got to get over you. If God has forgiven you, he's thrown your, sea, your sins into the deepest, darkest ocean. Don't you think you ought to leave them there? If God has chosen not to remember your sins or iniquities any longer, why do you dwell on those sins and iniquities when God, in fact, has cleansed you from all of that? So when I said the answer is faith, you've got to decide, Anonymous, whether or not you believe what the Bible says. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter whether you feel saved or feel forgiven. The reality is that if you have surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, if you ask for forgiveness, then your sins are forgiven. And then you've got a decision to make. Do I believe what the Bible says or do I believe how I feel? Now remember, the devil is going to be the one who causes those questions and those doubts. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're condemning yourself when God doesn't condemn you, again, I think that is the height of arrogance. And I think you simply need to say, okay, Lord, i got to make a choice. Do I believe the promises that you've made or don't I? And if the answer is you don't, then be honest about it. And you can say, Lord, I believe some, but help me with my unbelief and let the Holy Spirit do the work. You've got to spend time in the Word so He can change your mind. 
Renewed thinking, Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Uh, the only way we can think new is to have a new source for our thought process, and that's in the Word of God. Got time for one more question. This one is from Raymond. Um, what arguments can I give a cessationist friend that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today? You know, Raymond, I don't think there's uh, arguments that you have to give. I think I would turn that around and say, um, okay, on what basis do you say that uh, the gifts of the Spirit are, for not, are, are not for today? Because the gifts were given. That's, a, that's, that's clear in our Bible. And nowhere in the Bible does it say anything about the gifts being revoked or that we use them up. So I would say, well, you're the one that's to prove the point. The gifts were given. Romans uh, talks about the gifts in Romans chapter 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 talks about the gifts given to the church there. Where, where were those gifts revoked? And most of the people, Raymond, will say, well, you know, um, uh, in Romans 13, it says uh, that, that uh, when that which is perfect has come, then the gifts will cease. But, but, and they'll say, well, the, the, that which is perfect is the Bible. That's not what it refers to at all. That refers to the, to the return of Jesus Christ for his church. And we won't need gifts of the Spirit when we're in our glorified, physical, resurrected bodies. But believe me, gifts of the Spirit, in some cases, even signs and wonders, are still needed because we are bound in these flesh and blood bodies. So don't give him an argument. Ask him to show you a verse where it indicates that they're not. And if he uses chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, that's just bad exegesis. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Guess what? Paul is going to be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. It'll be the date day show. God bless you. I'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.